have a question about your home? Call Ken the Contractor. Ken Patterson is a Class A licensed contractor who has designed and built multi-million dollar commercial and industrial projects and single family homes up and down the East Coast. And now, Ken the Contractor brings his years of experience to the radio. Square footage, meaning when you buy a home, you got 3,000 square feet, you got 1,000 square feet, whatever. That is the most expensive space we buy. Cubic feet, that's where we start to use our vertical space, is some of the least expensive that we have. Yet, that's probably one of the most underutilized areas in our homes. Do you have a question about your home inside or out? Call Ken the Contractor. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another hour of Ken the Contractor. Ken Patterson is Ken the Contractor, and he's right here weekends at this time to take calls, questions, and comments, and to answer questions that are important to today's homeowner. I'm Jim Britton. If you'd like to join us, you can. Our contact number is 800-614-2975. That's 800-614-2975. Don't forget, you can friend Ken on Facebook at Ken the Contractor, and also follow him on Twitter at Ken Answers. And if you'd like to email questions to Ken, you can do that. You can email them to our website. That's KenTheContractor.com. And right now, we're literally going to open up Ken's toolbox. Literally. Not everyone's a contractor. Not everyone needs to be a contractor. But all of you are going to agree with me that there are times around your home that you just have to have some basic tools. And I think most of us, especially if we have at least a few years about us, we probably have some basic tools around the house without being a contractor. But for many others, especially uh, younger folks, perhaps just starting out, people moving out of apartments into new homes, for example, may find there are a few more things they need that they just haven't had in the past. And we're going to talk about something that will help you considerably in all of these items combined, at least on this basic list, you could probably purchase for less than $20 total. Be a pretty good investment for the helping hand that it'll give you around the house. Let's talk about some basic tools that every household should have. And many of you are sitting there saying, yeah, I've got those. They're in the kitchen drawer to the right of the sink. Everybody has one of those drawers somewhere in their kitchen if you're old enough. And for those of you who don't have one, let's put one together here. Let's talk about some items that will help you greatly. First, very high on my list is some type of a multi-bit screwdriver. Now, again, a lot of you are saying I've got more screwdrivers than I can think about. But a multi-bit screwdriver is one where you, it has interchangeable bits on it. It may be the basics, which will be a slotted screwdriver and a Phillips. It may be two different sizes of each. There may be a few others that are interchangeable. Some of these you can buy that are fairly inexpensive that also allow you to deal with hex head fasteners. But those are not extremely common in most of our households. Right now I'm concentrating on things that we use just about every week in and around our home, whether it's hanging a picture, picture, tightening a screw and a hinge, something along those lines. A multi-bit screwdriver is one of the items you want to put on your list. I'm also giving some of you some advance notice for maybe some Christmas gifts for your siblings or maybe your children or just someone else around your household. Second to that is going to be a decent pair of pliers, something that you can do some basic tightening with, and whether you're or twisting wires on the back of pictures if you're you're fixing to hang pictures and you're dealing with this stiff picture hanging wire there's so many things that we need a pair of pliers for it may be pulling some type of specialty fastener out of a wall anyway there's so many uses for that so you've got a multi-bit screwdriver you've got a basic pair of pliers next thing i want you to consider having in that drawer is an adjustable wrench or some would call it a crescent wrench it's known by different names we're not talking about a pipe wrench but this is an adjustable wrench and for most households you need a fairly small unit something you can get in and do 
some some simple basic work with, and frequently it may be in tight spaces. Maybe household items. You may be tightening uh, nuts or bolts on uh, various items around the house, or maybe putting a bicycle together, for example. And these type tools will be extremely handy without having to pay somebody another fee if you're inclined to put these together. So an adjustable wrench. Also a tape measure. No household should be without a tape measure. I've asked people if they've got something to measure with. Yeah, I've got a yardstick over here. I want to tell you that's pretty tedious if you're trying to measure a 20-foot room or you're trying to get distances between windows or doors and windows and you're trying to calculate items such as wall covering or other items that you're fixing to undertake yourself in terms of in-home tasks. So you want to be sure that you have a decent tape measure. should be at least 16 feet in length. These are fairly inexpensive. They're cheap enough today that they're really uh, disposable. You don't get too excited if you happen to lose one or break one. And you want to try and find one, though, that has a wide tape on it, at least three-quarters of an inch. These very narrow ones that are only about a half inch, they're not going to last you very long. Sometimes you do get what you pay for. Spend a couple dollars more and buy a decent width 16-foot retractable tape measure. Next item you have to have in that drawer is going to be some type of a claw hammer. Now, don't go out and pick up a framing hammer. The framing hammer is going to weigh 20 ounces. Some of you are not going to be able to pick the thing up, and you surely don't want to be swinging a 20-ounce hammer trying to drive a little trim nail in the wall to hang, or a picture hook nail to try and hang that picture, or even to hang a mirror on the wall, because you're going to do more damage than you do good. So think about what your needs might be in the household. Typically, you would be looking at even a trim hammer which is very light. A standard framing hammer is going to be our, our claw hammers around 16 ounces. As I said, the heavier frame hammer, which professionals use, is 20 ounces. So you're probably talking about a hammer that's about 10 ounces, maybe down to 8. You'll find some different sizes. But unless you're going to be using this for outdoor work, gardening, driving stakes in the ground, you don't need a heavy weight hammer to be using inside hanging pictures and mirrors, maybe removing or putting in hinge pins occasionally on your doors if you're taking them out to paint, those type items. Then I also want you to have one more item that's going to make those pictures and those mirrors look really great, maybe even leveling furniture with the leveling legs on the bottom of it, and that is a level. And you don't need to go out and buy a four-foot or a six-foot level and uh, spend for that. We're talking about something very basic for home use. You need to be able to have the level function in both a horizontal and a vertical manner, which means you're going to have two different locations on it. Some will have three, four, or more, depending on what you're trying to level. Some even set for certain angles, but you need very basic. All of these items combined, folks, we talk about the multi-bit screwdriver, the pliers, the adjustable or crescent wrench, the 16-foot tape measure, a lightweight claw hammer for the interior, and the level. In most cases, you'll find for residential use, you can package all of that together for $20 or less, and it's going to make a huge difference in just some of those little things we deal with constantly around our house. A few other items just briefly. If you've got a few extra dollars left over that are always nice to have, a basic utility knife so you're not dulling your kitchen knives cutting insulation off wires or other items that you may have, a basic caulking gun. Two items I find extremely useful. One would be a cordless power drill, uh, a small handsaw, and then if you have anything else you just like to play around with and a little extra money, think about a cordless circular saw, but not the big professional level, just a five and a quarter inch. And the other thing I would suggest everybody gets, a toolbox. Because as you mentioned, a lot of us have these tools, but when we need them, we can never find them. Or you go to that kitchen drawer where they're all tossed yeah. in. But you're right. You know, a simple toolbox you can buy, even the plastic ones today, 
2 $3 for these items we've got in there toted around with you, no big deal. But if you don't want to spring for the toolbox, at least put them in one location so you can keep up with them. Yeah, toolbox are one of those heavy-duty tool bags because I know a lot of folks, and it happens around my household, you go to get it and you say, okay, when's the last time we used it? What project did we use it on? Maybe it's there. Maybe it's in the laundry room. Maybe it's in the shed. And then you got to do a treasure hunt to so find it. So you've got a, a five-minute task that takes you 30 minutes to find the tool. Exactly. I understand. Ken Vanderson is Ken the contractor, and he's here to answer questions about your home inside or out. You can always reach Ken at 800-614-2975. That's 800-614-2975. And also, you'll take your emails at KenTheContractor.com. Coming up at this hour on Ken the Contractor, our app of the week is going to deal with something for those of you who need to convert all those measurements that you have to deal with. I'm not real good at that either. And we'll talk green building. And Ken answers your questions next. You're listening to Ken the Contractor. Welcome back. You're listening to Ken the Contractor. Have a question for Ken, give us a call, 800-614-2975, or you can forward your emails to kenthecontractor.com. Right now, we're getting ready to go to the phone lines in Roanoke, Virginia. It is James who joins us right now. James, hi, you're on the air with Ken the Contractor. James, can you hear us? Hello? Yes, sir, you're on the radio. Go right ahead. Hi, James. Hello? Yes, James, James, are you there? All right, we'll see if we can straighten out James's phone issue. While we do that, uh, let's go ahead and knock off an email question. Again, you can forward your questions to KenTheContractor.com. That's our website. Okay, this one comes to us from Linda out of Reading, Pennsylvania, who listens to us on WEEU. said, we have stripped the wallpaper off our bathroom walls and want to replace it with tile on the lower half. Any tips on how to do it right? One big one for you, Linda. First, you've probably done the hard work in stripping that wall covering. But for a lot of people I encounter, they say they've, they're complete when they've removed the wall covering, and frankly, they have left the backing. They have only pulled the face of it off. You need to be absolutely certain that you have removed the backing itself all the way down to the plaster or the drywall paper below that. If you haven't and you start putting tile to this, I promise you it's going to release. It's not going to bond well, and you're going to be really unhappy at a later date. Because you haven't. So if you've made sure that you have exposed the drywall paper or the plaster and you've pulled the paper off the back of the uh, the wall covering, then you're in good shape. Beyond that, I always want to caution folks, when you're laying out tile, whether it's on the wall or on the floor, the tendency for all of us is to simply start at a corner, go left to right, right to left, top to bottom. It doesn't matter. But you want to do your layout off the center line. The reason you do this is so that your cuts on each end are uniform. You don't wind up with a whole tile on one end, and you wind up with maybe an inch and a half piece on the other end. This is the way the professionals do it. This is how it looks balanced. This is how you end up with that good, clean look. So, Linda, in your case, you're getting ready to put this on your wall. Find the center line of the wall, and you start with whole tiles from there, and then you lay to the right, you lay to the left, and you end up with equal cuts on each end. If you do that, you're going to have a great-looking job. And if you make sure you've exposed the wall covering or the, the paper on the drywall or the plaster, you're going to have a product that will bond for a long period of time if you use the right adhesive and follow the manufacturer's instructions. Good luck to you, Linda. All right, let's try James again. James, can you hear us? Yes, sir, I can. Okay, go right ahead. What's your question for Ken? Okay, I have, I, I live in a double wide. Um, and I'm trying to find someone that has the ability to put on an add-on that's, I would say, about 26 foot wide by 12 foot back, 
And, you know, generally just add on to the double ride that I'm living in now. And it seems like everybody I've talked to around here, I, I feel like their price range is way over what it should be. And I, I, I kind of feel like, because, you know, I know how to do carpentry. I've done it God knows how long. So, I mean, it's just, that's what these people right here are charging for labor is like around uh, $10,000. And I just, I don't understand why it would be so much because I don't feel as if it's really worth that much labor well, let me, to be charging that much. You know? let, me, let me get a little information from you. Maybe I can help you out and at least offer some direction for you. First okay. off, it, it really doesn't matter for you or others if you're putting an addition on, whether it's on a modular, a stick-built home, a, a mobile home, it doesn't matter. You're still dealing with new construction, and in your case, you're talking about stick framing. So it's standard 2x4, two 2x6 by two by framing. I'm assuming also that you have some type of a raised floor to be to build up, to build up. This would be on a crawl space, not uncommon for many. Okay, not uncommon for many homes or additions that are installed. So it's basic residential construction that you're talking about. Right. And you're dealing with an area somewhere around 300 square feet. It, right. it would appear from what you've just described. So this is not a, a massive area either. And you're getting labor numbers only. For framing only, not concrete work, not electrical, not drywall of about ten thousand dollars, or is this complete? Well, it's it's for the electrical because uh, I'm not an electrician. I don't even want to mess with that crap. I've got kids in the house, you know. Okay, so, so you, but you're you're talking about roughly ten thousand dollars for three hundred square feet, uh, and it is is that a turnkey number then? Labor and materials walk away from it. Uh, no, I just lay the wiring and, uh, okay. like as far as, you know, hooking up fans and lights and putting up the drywall myself because okay. I know how to do that. That's easy. It's a quick thing. I can get that done in less than four hours and in that size of a room. So, you know, a, you know, a lot of our listeners are in your same situation where they're great do it yourselfers. There are certain things they're capable of doing just like you are. And But there are other items, either you place a, a value on your time saying, I can do this, I'm not efficient at it, or I just don't have the time right now, I want to hire this out. And the bottom line for you as well as others, and I do this myself because pricing just, it, it runs from high to low. It, it depends on whether you're January or December. The people you're talking to are busy. They want to go hunting. They want to go fishing. They've got a backlog. It, it doesn't matter. It's always been interesting to me how the numbers vary so much. I would be obtaining at least three bids. And in your case, if you're uncomfortable with numbers you're getting in your immediate community, you might want to go outside the area just a little bit. The other thing that you want to try and do is talk to some of your wholesale houses locally and get some references, maybe of people you don't know, but people that they sell a lot of materials to that stay extremely busy. Now, being busy is both good and bad. The fact that they're busy may tell you that they do quality work and they have very competitive prices because they're booked solid. And if it's a very small company and they only want to do two or three jobs a year, that's why their prices may be higher. But I have a tendency to want to work with companies that are aggressive, that do top quality work, whose prices are competitive. They get in, they get out, they go to the next job. And supply houses are always a good source for those type companies because they're going to rep, uh, recommend people that do both quality work, they're not going to give you names of somebody that does poor work, and 
They're going to give you names of people that pay their bills because they want to know they get paid as well. well so I think that'd be a good direction for you to think about. I think what James is also looking for too is kind of a ballpark figure. Is there an industry standard on what you should look to pay per square foot if you're doing, let's say in this particular case, new construction? Yeah, there, there are. Are in different regions, and there are books that are available, information available online. Uh, RS Means is one of those that produces square foot cost for new construction and additions by region, right down to zip code. And you should be able to get a feel for that. But in his case, it's not complete. He's looking at components, and that's the difference in question we had recently about what should I expect to pay for a custom home in this area. He's still willing to do part of the work himself. I will tell you that framing in general, Roanoke's in western Virginia, so in uh, that part of the state, you should anticipate paying for material, I mean for labor, for framing, uh, cost uh, somewhere in the vicinity of uh, 45 to $6 per square foot for just labor for simple framing. Now, it becomes more complicated. That price goes up. If you've got a lot of tie-in work, that price goes up. Some parts of the country, it's going to be $10, $12 a square foot. Some areas, it's going to be $1.80 to two and a quarter a square foot. So it ranges. The range is huge. But the numbers he's getting for 300 square feet, I think that's on the high end. I'd be doing some more investigating as well. All right. James, get some more estimates out there. and Maybe, as Ken mentioned, talk to some of those folks at the supply houses. Find out who the people are who are busy, who are buying a lot of their product. Always a good way to go. James, good luck with your project. We've got to take a break here at the bottom of the hour, and then we'll continue with more on this edition of Ken the Contractor. Do you have a question? Just like James, you can reach us at 800-614-2975, or you can email your questions to Ken at KenTheContractor.com. You're listening to Ken the Contractor. Welcome back. You're listening to Ken the Contractor. Going to be working on a project this weekend. Need a little bit of help? Ken Patterson, Ken the Contractor, can help. You can always reach Ken at 800-614-2975. That's 800-614-2975. Or you can post your questions at our website, KenTheContractor.com. Time now for our weekly uh, green building segment. There are always things we can work with around our home that uh, make us just a little bit greener. But if you're into a remodeling project, let me give you three or four items that may push you in the right direction, not cost you any more money, make you feel better not only about the environment, the things you're doing for it, but also may make you feel better because of what's going on inside your house. First, I want you to think a little bit about some of the eco countertops that are out in the marketplace these days. And the choices are wide-ranging. And as we move from month to month in each of these years, we find there are more and more products available in the marketplace. These choices today range from recycled glass to recycled paper, if you can believe that, in countertops, from ceramic tile to concrete or bamboo and solid wood. Now, some of these are products that many of us don't think about being a countertop when we talk about bamboo or we talk about even recycled paper or recycled glass. But, folks, we're looking at ways of using all kinds of products over and over again to reclaim and recycle throughout our home and eliminate some of the odors and other issues that create headaches and health problems for us. So think a little bit about some of the eco countertops that are available. I also want to tell you that the prices continue to come down on those. When they first hit the market several years ago, the prices were quite high, but now we see them dropping, 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 very competitive in most parts of the country with ordinary standard products. Next item I want you to think a little bit about will have to do with both health and sustainability, and that has to do with our floor materials. Our floors that stand out, that have special environmental attributes and certain qualities about those are also increasing floor products 
in the marketplace. You can choose today from Forest Stewardship Council certified wood floors. If you're really a diehard green builder or remodeler and you want to have the official stamps, seals, and labels, chain of custody, and so forth, so for many of you, that might be the extreme, but they're available. Also, products that have become very, very popular and very affordable price-wise for flooring happens to be durable cork, also mature bamboo. And bamboo is taking the place of a lot of the hardwood, the traditional hardwoods that we see used throughout our homes, natural linoleum, and also natural wool carpeting. This is interesting for me because I'm old enough I can remember when most of the carpets were actually wool carpet. Now, I don't go back to 1910, but really until we hit the 1970s particularly, most of our carpeting were natural fibers. We started getting into the synthetics in the 70s, and we'll see all of those oil-based today. But now we're seeing a reversal where we're going back to a lot of the natural products and we're seeing the natural wool carpeting available. One more item that you have to consider, and I really encourage all of you, especially if you have indoor air quality issues or health issues within your home, that's painting. Many of us do our own painting, whether it's trim, doors, painting our walls from time to time. But the type of paint we use can have a lot to do with how we feel inside the house. Today, I'm going to encourage all of you to be working with a paint that is a no, not low, but no, N-O-V-O-C, which are volatile organic compounds. And those are becoming more and more popular with all of the major brands nationwide. Now, one area that some companies still are not in touch with, and if you're really into this, you want to ask them, when you add pigment to paint, the pigment itself will contain, in most cases, some VOCs. So you want to ask them if that pigment is free of VOC so that you truly are applying a paint with no VOC to your wall and trim. Do those things. You're going to increase your air quality in the home. You are not necessarily going to spend more money. It's just a matter of asking the questions and doing a little bit of research. Are you finding that more and more of the products that we use, not just specialty products, are being offered in some type of green building format or application. I'm seeing it a lot in gardening products now where almost everybody who's involved in any type of gardening chemicals is now coming out with an organic line that runs oftentimes parallel with the other products they sell. That really is true, especially of American-made products. When we look at those nationwide, we're seeing more and more of the traditional manufacturers marketing products that are eco-friendly, that offer better environmental uh, air quality within your home. They recognize what we are saying as consumers and how we feel about that, and they're trying to cater to our needs. They've done this for a long period of time, so really the consumer has a voice that frequently we don't think we have. We're going to go uh, to our emails right now, and this is Marsha, who uh, from Barrington, Kansas, wants to talk about some issues relating to flooring. Yeah, she's in the process of doing a little work around the house as we're finishing our basement and want to use a floor heating system under new laminate flooring. I read a carbon electric floor heating system is required and a laminate flooring without the traditional foam backing. Offer your opinion. Marsha, very good question because as we look at new products, new finished products, there are always new ways of heating and there are new ways of addressing certain issues within our home, and this happens to be one of those. Now, the carbon electric floor heating that you're talking about is indeed a very good heating, and for many of you that aren't familiar with it, it is it is similar to traditional heat strips that can go under ceramic tile as well as hardwood flooring. In fact, this one can be used in that application. But manufacturers have continued to enhance that under floor heating, not in floor, not in the concrete heating, but under floor. It goes on top of concrete or on top of wood, and then you lay the finished product on top of that. 
Carbon fiber flooring certainly would be one that I would recommend to you that you you can look at. There are multiple suppliers and manufacturers of that. I'm going to suggest you obtain at least three bids on the product, whether you're installing it yourself or if it's installed, certainly from three different subcontractors. Also, Marsha, I want you to look at one other system that's similar but has different characteristics and is designed specifically for laminate flooring and similar type products. This is produced by Thermosoft. And as, as I say, it's a slightly different design. It is no thicker than the carbon uh, f- electric floor heat, but it's made specifically for laminates, for floating for floors, and other wood flooring. It also has a few other design properties that personally I think is a little bit better in offering a vapor barrier between whatever that substrate is and the finished flooring that goes on top of that. Either one of these products will do a fine job for you. I'm glad that you asked because not every underfloor heat system is designed for laminate or snap-together wood flooring. So for all of you that are looking at these things, price point's important, but it doesn't mean it's always the right product. Be sure you're buying the right product for the right application. Uh, I know there are a lot of folks who use heated flooring, but it kind of opened my eyes one time. I happened to be in a flooring store trying to get something to remove. I think a juice box had exploded on one of the kids or something. And uh, so I was going in to get a particular cleaner that had been recommended for the flooring we had. And I'm in there asking that. And another fellow was coming in talking about the problems he was having with his heated Italian floors in his bathroom. You felt sorry for him, didn't I you? Did. Yeah, I did. I can tell just I, by the way you're describing this. Yes, I I felt uh, very, very <laughs> sorry that he was, he was having issues with the, uh, I'm not sure what it was, Italian marble, or I don't know. There's a million-dollar bathroom we <laughs> talked about the other day. Yeah. So and here I am. I'm, I'm trying to uh, get Bosco or something uh, out of the, that the kids had dropped on the floor, and this guy's worried about the problems he's got with his heated Italian flooring. So ever since then, you wanted to have a heated flooring, Italian or not, well, just so you, you could have a problem later on. Well, for a bathroom, though, I think I think that would be a fantastic element. They really are pretty slick, but today with the products in the market, people are using them room by room, not just in the bathroom flooring. And the question Marsha raises is an example, and whether you're finishing out a basement or redoing another area, this can serve as your primary heat. Some of these units will raise the temperature up to 85 degrees in that room. Now, it's not instant. But if you're going to keep it at a fairly constant temperature, some have automatic thermostats pre-programmable. You set them up, set them back from night to day, Saturday to weekday when you're there. They're pretty sophisticated today, and they are quite affordable. Very, very unique, and it's another one of those elements of of the questions and comments we get. Energy efficiency and different sources for energy continues to be one of the most popular topics for you, the listeners of this program. We've got to take a quick break. We've got more coming up. Question for Ken. Reach us at 800-614-2975. You're listening to Ken the Contractor. You're listening to Ken the Contractor. A house is what you build, a home is what you make it. Ken Patterson is Ken the Contractor. He's here to answer questions that are important to today's homeowner. If you've got a question about your home inside or out, you can reach us at 800-614-2975. That's 800-614-2975. Coming up, our app of the week, which will help you deal with everything from radiation to shoe sizes around the world. Yes. But first, we go to the phones and we say hi to Deborah. She joins us right now. Hi, Deborah. Thanks for waiting. You're on the air with Ken Patterson, Ken the Contractor. Thank you. I had an linoleum floor put down in my house. And within about eight months to a year, it started curling up around the edges. And it, part of it was over an unheated garage, and part of it was over a heated area of the house. And it came up 
a bunch of different places. Okay, was the, there are different types of linoleum or sheet vinyl floors and different types of installation. Is this one that is re, what's referred to as fully adhered, meaning every part of it is glued down, or is it glued only at the seams and around the perimeter and the field tends to float? I think they put glue down in the middle, you know, up and down and around and everywhere, back and forth or through the middle of it. Okay. And it's a, this is occurring everywhere around the perimeter or only mm-hmm. in select locations? Not everywhere, but I'd say 60% of it. Okay. And it, just within the first two to three inches around the baseboard? Yes. Okay. You know, the first thing that would come to my mind is whether there was uh, e- either trash, and that's not as likely. Most installers are good about making sure a floor is swept before it goes down. Okay. But... Do you happen to know if there was overspray in paint on the floor in those areas? No, there wasn't. There was a linoleum floor down, down, and that was taken up. Okay, so this was a replacement floor. Right. All right. right. The only thing I can think of then is, is still in the preparation. Either the old adhesive was not properly removed, it didn't bond well, because okay. you've already ruled out what is obvious to me, and I've seen this occur. When people are spray painting walls before flooring goes down, they get overspray on the floor two, three inches away from the baseboard, it never gets cleaned, and then glue doesn't bond to that well, and it will release. Okay. But in this case, you're saying that was not there. There was a floor that had bonded properly before that, correct? Right, right. Okay. The other floor was down probably for like eight or ten years, and then I had new flooring put down. Yeah, then this simply has to be in the adhesive or the prep, or that maybe it wasn't scraped well adjacent to that baseboard as the center might have been scraped or power cleaned. Is, is there a possibility that it might not have been measured and cut quite big enough? No, I mean, you would be seeing gaps around it if it wasn't large enough. And I, the way you're describing it, that's that's not the case. It I'm seemed so- like it curled up around the edges. Did they not? Uh, this just runs baseboard to baseboard. It, it, it doesn't run under a baseboard, and there's no shoe mold over the edges? There's shoe mold now. There was molding, just square, old-time-looking molding okay. to start with. All right, so they just ran it up to a baseboard, and then it, that was uh, the end of it. Okay. And that would be typical, I mean, unless you're going to pull the baseboards off and then run it underneath the baseboard. But normally, shoe mold is applied around the edges, but still, the shoe mold is not intended to hold the vinyl down. Okay. It's simply a trim piece. Okay. So the issue you're describing is one to me that says there's a bonding issue with that adhesive. If this is new enough that it's under warranty, I'd be talking to my installer and saying, I've got an issue, I need you to come take care of it for me. Okay, so maybe they could just put glue on the edges and it would be okay. Right. Mm -hmm. I don't think they'd have to take it out. Okay, could it shrink? Uh, It can. It will shrink some. I mean, all products expand and contract a little bit as we go from cooling to heating seasons, but it should not be noticeable, especially in a vinyl product. Okay. But it will shrink some. Okay. Okay. Thank you so much. Thank you. Appreciate your call. Mm -hmm. Bye. Deborah, thank you. We do appreciate your call. 800-614-2975 is our number. Time now for the app of the week. And yes, as I promised, if you have to calculate radiation levels or shoe sizes from around the world, Ken has the app for you. (laughs) I'm not real sure this is exactly radiation levels, but it is converting different types of items. And I want to tell you, I have not seen an app that does what this particular app does. It's called ConvertPad, C-O-N-V-E-R-T-P-A-D. Got it loaded in my uh, Android-based phone here. I use it on a fairly regular basis. It's a free app that converts almost any measurement that you can possibly imagine. It deals with everything from length and distance, weight, mass, area, volume, capacity, both liquid and dry volume, even deals with currency exchanges. How about angles, temperatures, fuel consumptions, 
time, velocity, force, pressure, power. We can go on and on. Even for those of you that do travel from one country to the other, it talks about men and women's clothing sizes, shoe sizes, converting that from U.S. standards to what you might find find in other parts of the world. But this is really quite handy for home construction projects when it comes to converting cubic space, uh, square footage, those things that you need in volume calculations. It will convert lumber from standard lineal footage to board footage and back and forth if you happen to have prices quoted in a board foot measured and you want to know what's that per lineal foot. But this is a rather unique and interesting app. As I say, it's called ConvertPad. It is absolutely free. Some of these I bring to you cost a dollar or two, some five or six dollars. But this one I think you'll find pretty interesting. I do. Does it do a pecks and bushels? Because that's the one that always does all kinds. Of, absolutely, okay. that's in here. I mean, it oh. does things I don't even understand, and I've been doing this for a long time. Yeah. But if you're a rocket scientist, this would be helpful. Fantastic. All right, let's move along here, Mr. Peabody, and that is we've got an email from Wheeling, West Virginia, and it's Fred. He's got an issue with a chimney flue liner. He does, and I'll tell you, this is not rocket science. This is some basic construction, but Fred's been very alert in terms of some things around his house. He says, I'm trying to do a few things around the house to be ready for winter. I inspected my old fireplace and found cracks inside the clay chimney liner. Does this mean I cannot use the fireplace or do I need to tear it down and have a mason build a new one? I do not know how long it has been cracked, but the cracks are filled with soot. So I'm guessing that one of the things Fred has done is probably at least take a mirror, and a lot of contractors and homeowners use them as well to see things you can't see readily, and a light and shine up in these areas, and he's doing what he should. He or somebody should be inspecting the chimney. And the fact that he has found cracks in the flue liner is a definite sign in my book that you don't use that chimney without having it repaired by a professional. doesn't necessarily mean that it has to be torn down and a complete new one built from scratch, Fred, but it does need to be repaired. Now, you're saying, how do you get inside a chimney and repair cracks in that flue liner? There are systems that are available today, and professional uh, chimney sweeps and companies that maintain and modify chimneys will handle this, that will install chimney liners. And they'll install them from the top, go all the way down to the firebox area, to the smoke shelf that's in there and so forth, to the damper, and they will completely line that, and it will make that safe, assuming that your chimney is structurally sound. But whatever you do, Fred, for you and others, if you've noticed this, you do not want to have additional fires in that fireplace and chimney until that has been corrected. This is an area where chimney fires start. You can't see it. Embers get in these. If the crack runs all the way through the flue liner, it can get, depending on where it is, into the woodwork of the house, and that's where fires start. And Jim, as you and I discuss from time to time, these are some of the most difficult fires for firefighters not only to fight initially, but to put completely out. Yeah, it is very difficult. I remember we were driving around one time, and one of my kids saw a chimney sweep working, and... Uh, Wanted to know if that's what Santa did in the off season. Sure, you yeah, only got to keep some money coming in somehow. Hey, it only works one night a year. You got to have something else for he and the elves. What do you think? What a job is that? Yeah. Once a year? Once a year. But you know, got to find a way to keep that four hundred one k piling up. Ken Patterson is Ken the contractor. If you've got a question for him, you can always reach Ken at our contact number, which is 800-614-2975. Don't forget, you can email your questions to Ken to our website. That's KenTheContractor.com. And while you're there, check out Ken's toolbox. That'll do it for this hour of Ken the Contractor. Each week, each week we bring you the answers to the questions that are important to today's homeowners. Don't forget, you can always reach Ken at 800-614-2975. 
Energy-saving home improvements could mean year-round savings for you. You've been listening to Ken the Contractor. Every weekend at this time, Ken the Contractor, Ken Patterson is here taking your calls. Don't forget, you can friend Ken on Facebook at Ken the Contractor and follow him on Twitter at Ken Answers. And if you're looking for home improvement information at any time, go to KenTheContractor.com.